Grace, mercy, and peace be yours in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Appreciate the opportunity to be with you today and bring you greetings from some 160 congregations and mission congregations of the Ohio District, Ohio, West Virginia, Northern Kentucky. And I'm especially grateful to be here today as in all day, right? Because this afternoon, ordination of pastor-elect Michael Mapis, but here you could say elder Mapis, then seminarian Mapis, now about to be pastor Mapis, right? So that's this afternoon, that's this afternoon. As I visit congregations and church workers the past six months, a little bit more, I've emphasized God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness. I'm gonna do so again today and, and do so through our district convention, which is like, I don't know, four days away. Um, but I'm doing so because we're coming through this pandemic and it's been tough on all our congregations, on entire society, on everybody. And to varying degrees, we've had to grapple with this pandemic. But at the same time, I've been hearing more and more concern, sometimes even alarm in our congregations from workers, about changes in society that became, I think, more apparent because of the pandemic. They were already there. And in the sense of, of just, Heavenly Father, how is it society could become so diametrically opposed to you and your basic teaching? And so between the two, I thought it time to to have a reminder of God's faithfulness. And to do so today, I want to share about a church that experienced God's faithfulness, or if you will, was formed as evidence of God's faithfulness, a church in a city called Antioch. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, I get it. There is a risk when you start preaching about something like God's faithfulness. The risk is, I am not your parish pastor. I don't know who may be struggling personally with God's faithfulness. And often that struggles quiet anyhow. It's not the kind of thing we advertise. And we may struggle literally for years internally questioning, God, were you faithful? Why weren't you faithful? Grappling with that. And likewise, congregations. I will meet with congregations who are grappling with whether God's been faithful. And so I think this is the perfect time to be gathered together again because we'll be looking at God's word about what God says about his faithfulness. And I'll be illustrating how God helps us move back to trusting him and being his faithfulness. So that's where we're headed. And to start, we've got to establish the fact that God is truly faithful. So I'm going to go and have a catechetical lesson. We're going to do the same thing your confirmand's been learning since 1865. Every adult instruction class has heard this. But it is worth repeating, especially since we just got through Trinity Sunday. How do we know a being is God? How do we know a being is God? Well, Scripture says there's two requirements. If you don't meet both, you're not God. The first one is this. The Bible actually says the being is God. And so God the Father. Okay, that one's the easy one. We've got to start pretty simply. We can do Old Testament, New Testament, all the way through there. God the Father is God. Then we move to God the Son. The Bible has to say specifically God the Son is truly divine. Think about Jesus after his resurrection. It appears to 10 of his disciples. Thomas isn't there. The next time Thomas is there, Thomas has expressed his doubts. Jesus 
appears to him, put your hand, you know, your finger into my hand, my side. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God to Jesus, right? Jesus is God. God, the Holy Spirit, right? We'll get in the book of Acts. We're already going to be looking at the book of Acts today. There's a passage in the book of Acts where a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, give a gift to the church, but they're, they're holding back. And the response of the apostles to this couple is, what, what are you doing? You have not lied to men, but to God. You have not lied to us, but to the Holy Spirit. And this clear statement, Holy Spirit is God. But it goes beyond that. There's got to be a second requirement. The being also has to have attributes that only God has. Literally divine attributes. So we're told God is love. It means God is literally love. Not like us. We can love, and we do love, but we also fail to love sometimes. God is actually, if you will, personification of love, of justness, of God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and God is faithful. So you put these together, these two together, and you know we have every confidence. We just said in our creed, the Nicene Creed, this is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a mystery to us how God can be one person, yet three persons, yet one being, Yes, that's a mystery. Nevertheless, faithfulness is an attribute of God. Now, hold on to that as we're going through this message. Now, I'm going to go to Jesus after his, his resurrection from the dead just to show what the earliest Christians, what they could expect from God to know God was faithful. And Jesus laid it out for them. He kept appearing to different people, sometimes one person individually, up to as many as 500 after his resurrection from the dead. One of those times, he's with his disciples. It's late in Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. Um, in that passage, verse 18, Jesus says, look, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And literally translated, as you are going, as you are going, make believers and followers of me of all people groups. So notice that it's, as you're going, as you're going about your daily business, as you're going wherever you're sent by God, wherever you're led, you're going to be my witness. You're talking about Jesus. Seeing people come to faith in Jesus, be baptized, see them learn to, to follow Jesus' teaching, the teachings of the scripture for the Christian life. And it's all people groups. That's, that's essential. There was such a risk that the faith, the Christian faith, would remain Jewish and only Jewish and not move to the Gentiles. There's such a great risk of that. When Jesus says all nations, all people groups, that would include Jews and Gentiles. That which he's trying to bring together. As we read in the epistle today, God was making one. But at the time, there was a distinct division between the two. So, God's people were watching for Jesus, you know, Jesus to make this happen. And even after his ascension, if God is faithful, people are going to be brought to faith in Jesus, they're baptized, and they're going to be taught all things. And we can add to that, because right before his ascension, Jesus also said, also said Holy Spirit's going to descend on you in power. You can be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, and then move on the way out to Judea, further north into Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth. So that's what God's people are looking for, for faithfulness. And it's almost too easy to prove God's faithfulness. Because within 10 days, God fulfills it. I mean, literally within 10 days, the day of Pentecost hits... Holy Spirit descends in power, all right, God's faithful. The gospel is proclaimed, and people understood it in these different languages. 
We're told that 3,000 were brought to faith that day, people being baptized. Right? They're being baptized, now the opportunity to be taught everything of the faith, and then they're sent back to their homes. And we know from the book of Acts that this, this Pentecost festival brought people from all over the world, from, yes, from, from the Middle East, but also from Asia, Asia Minor, even Europe had come, Jewish people to celebrate, to give a first fruits offering to God as part of a Jewish festival. And it must have been such a high right then, just right this crest of, of God's movement and Jesus being fulfilled. It had to be so exciting. But I've already acknowledged that sometimes there's doubt. Doubts about God's faithfulness. And the more popular the faith became, as we're going through the book of Acts, the more opposition the faith faced. And there's a point where a deacon, one of the leaders, is martyred. And this is what happens when Stephen's is martyred, Acts chapter 8. And there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, entering home after home, and dragged off men and women, committed them to prison. I want to emphasize that the book of Acts does not tell us God's people were having doubts about God's faithfulness. It's not outlined there. I am saying we know, you know and I know human nature. Persecution breaks out. Here's your choice, Christians in Jerusalem. You can stay in your home and wait to be arrested, wait to be taken to prison, wait for your home to be confiscated, possibly martyred like Stephen, or you can flee as a Christian, a religious refugee. You can flee, and numbers fled. They fled all over, heading north, north, north. And notice those who didn't flee. The apostles. The sheep were literally scattered without their shepherds. I don't, you know, we, we all have different heritage. Some of us, some of our families became Christians when we came to America. Others brought the faith with us. One branch of my mother's family faced religious persecution in Prussia in the 1830s, 1840s. It got bad enough that they had to go underground. Pastor was meeting in homes. Pastors were being arrested. And so they fled religious persecution. I mean, literally, the church loaded up, headed to America, ended up New York, came through the canals to Buffalo, formed what became the Buffalo Synod. But here's, here's what I find interesting. They brought their pastor with them. They brought pastor, right? If pastor, if you're coming, we're going to flee. Back in Acts, they didn't have that choice. The apostles, for some reason, had to stay in Jerusalem. They had to stay in Jerusalem. You know what it's like to be scattered, right? We've gone through this pandemic. We had to make changes, and changes were made to us without our desire through this pandemic. I mean, 160-plus churches and only 15 met every Sunday. All of our other churches took at least some time to, to move worship to online or recordings and did so just out of protection for one another and for the community. We love one another. We love our community. We're, we're just going to, we don't understand this whole pandemic, this whole COVID thing. We're going to care for each other. But there was still a sense of being scattered, yet God kept pastor, right? Didn't have to lose pastor. Pastor had to make a lot of changes, a ton of changes. And a lot of pastors got to learn a lot of things about teaching Bible class online. I don't, did you take that class in the seminary? I missed it. I don't know it. Bible class on Zoom 101, taught by Dr. Friedrichs. You know, like, you know, but at the time, you just do what you need to do. But there was a sense of feeling scattered. 
We had that physical sense. Just did. All right. So, it's happened. They're scattered. There's Christians all over the place. I just read earlier what happened to some of them. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. And so they're going into different countries that are 200, 250 miles north of Jerusalem. And again, they're falling back to their old habits. That's human nature, right? We go back to what we've always done. We go back to what we always, it's the old pattern. They're going to share the faith with Jews. Once again, Gentiles are at risk of not being included among God's people. But at least they're speaking the word. And who's speaking it? It's not the apostles, not the pastors. They're in Jerusalem. This goes back to the Great Commission where a literal translation says, as you were going, as they were going through these different towns and cities, they talked about Jesus. Now, I can imagine it wasn't that difficult, right? You're in a strange town, and, and you have nothing but the clothes on your back and what you can carry, and you have no family there, and people are saying, what are you doing here? Well, we are the followers of this Jesus. He's the Messiah. We're being persecuted by our own people. You could witness about Jesus fairly easily in this context if he had the courage to do so, even as an explanation. That goes further, though. Verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Hellenists are either Greeks who have adopted the Jewish religion as far as they could, and they would never be allowed to in the main part of the temple because they're, they're Gentiles. Nevertheless, they're following the Jewish faith, or... They're simply Greeks. It's a reference to someone who is Greek who is then a Gentile in most cases. God ensured that even in the midst of persecution, he's going to fulfill, be faithful to the instructions that Jesus had given. He is faithful in pulling together all nations. Now, I am not saying that God caused persecution to fulfill his, his own prediction. Jesus did not do that. All right? It's sin. Sin is what caused persecution. But God was redeeming it. God was working through the people despite the sin, saying, no, 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 no. You're to make disciples of all nations. And God gathered together desperate people from all over the place into these communities, into churches, which, by the way, didn't exist yet, right? Because you don't have churches yet because we're still part of the Jewish faith. You had to meet on your own and figure out, but it's not that difficult. You've in a sense, most had a Jewish background, or at least you're with people of Jewish background. You had a sense of order and worship, and you certainly had the teachings about Jesus as Messiah. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Amazing. You know, in the midst of all of that chaos, of anyone who had their doubts as they were fleeing, God was still faithful in pulling his people back together again. And I dare say we have experienced the same as we've gone through this pandemic, that God has been faithful in holding us together in our churches and getting us moving forward. Now, if you're personally struggling with this, okay, Pastor Wilson, we hear what you're saying, but, but I, my doubts are really deeply set for personal reason. I'll give you three questions to ask for self-reflection to kind of explain why we will fall into doubt. All right, so this is more of a personal application. And the first, question, the first question to ask is, do I expect something of God which God hasn't promised? Do I expect something of God that God hasn't promised? Intriguing question. I've experienced this as a parish pastor or one discipling leaders where someone has a background where someone's taught them another pastor, another church. They've been learning online, especially 
learning online or in books, they've been taught that if your will is aligned with God's will, if your will is aligned with God's will, and you are gracious, you are giving, you'll return as you give. So if you give financially, you'll receive back from God financially. If you give towards your relationships, you'll be blessed in these same relationships. And I get it, all right? I, I understand sometimes where this is coming from. Uh, there's scripture passages that deal with this. Uh, there's a famous passage in, in, uh, in Luke chapter 6 where Jesus says, give will be given back to you, pressed, and just has this great illustration of how God is going to be gracious and give back to us. And it's there, it's written, and there's a number of passages like that. Here's the problem. In the scriptures, God doesn't specifically state if you give X, you'll receive X back. It is more open than that. If you give, you'll receive back. It's up to God what to give back. It's God's call, not our call. And so I've worked with people who are having serious doubts about God because they end up in financial straits because they've been so generous in giving to family and friends and church and missions and others, waiting for God to give back financially, and it's not happening. We've got to open up the scriptures again and say, look, God didn't say what he's given back. Maybe he's going to give back in spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, maybe your church needs you at this time to have a gift of Leadership, a gift of generosity, a gift that will be of the strength in God's people. Maybe God wants to give back fruit of the Spirit. You know, in which case you, you may have joy. You may be able to experience, by the way, faithfulness is a gift of the Spirit. God will give back. And so the doubts were based on the fact that God's people had an expectation of God that God simply did not promise. Here's another account. First uh, Kings chapter 19, Elijah, great prophet of God, has this powerful confrontation with prophets of a false god named Baal, has this great victory over them, thinks everything's going to be great, and immediately is persecuted. A, a queen who practices the false religion, even though a queen of Israel is, is literally trying to take his life, he's on the, on the run, he finally stops and just cries out to God, Lord, why? Why? I have been faithful. And he goes through the different ways he's been faithful. I've been faithful in this. I've been faithful in that. I've been faithful. I'm the only one who's been faithful. Now they want to kill me too. And there's a point where the Lord says, I have reserved 7,000. He didn't even realize that. So we're going to come back to that one in just a moment. There's another way to say this. Another question that we could ask of ourselves. Um, and that question ties to what we do when we ask God, and, and we're, Lord, ask yourself, are you being impatient with God? Are we not being patient enough with God in fulfilling his promise? And that's a tough one today. Are we not being faithful in the sense that God, you know, God, you need to answer now. Since you haven't answered, you're obviously not faithful. Let's face it, folks. I don't care where you're in American society. We're impatient. We're pushed to be impatient. Everything is driven to being answered immediately, as quickly as possible. You know, I drive a, a four-year-old pickup truck, right? It has one of this console in the dash, right? It kind of comes on and, and immediately, and then it says, okay, whatever, Honda, and then it has a warning sign. It takes 10 seconds for that thing to boot up. I cannot get the truck rolling until it's all done. Right, 10 seconds, can you imagine having to wait? Better yet, it gives the same message every time. A thousand times I've seen the same message, which is something like, you do not play solitaire on this console while driving, or whatever it says, right? <laughs> it, they don't change the message, like I haven't figured it out yet, it's 10 seconds. I don't have 10 seconds to wait to leave in the morning 
Seriously? Impatience. In, in the pole barn, and we live outside of Marysville, Ohio, uh, between Marysville and Plain City, <laughs> maybe it's a, and suffice it to say, we are not in town, right? So in the pole barn, uh, 58, John Deere 420. And, you know, originally you had to start it with flywheel or something like a flywheel. You've got to crank the thing over. You talk about taking time to get started. Guess what it has now? <laughs> Electric starter. You bet. <laughs> Why? Because I am too impatient to drive a tractor that's too big to mow even my own lawn. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's part of human nature. And our society pushes us and pushes us up for this instant gratification that, that things be available and ready immediately. I would love to find out how many of us turn off the microwave with two seconds left in warming something because we're too impatient. See, I'm not alone. <laughs> All right, here's the challenge. God's time is not our time. I mean, literally, Peter, the apostle, literally says, you know, he's been asked, why hasn't Jesus returned? Why hasn't Jesus returned? Jesus has promised return in judgment. Jesus is coming back. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Peter writes, slow down for the Lord you know, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. For God's timing is not our day. God's in eternity. Right? And he even gives a why. You know, Peter even says, look, he, God is waiting for more to be saved. Right? God had, goes in his own time. Children of Israel knew God would someday deliver them from slavery in Egypt. It took 430 years. And so maybe, if God seems to be unfaithful, maybe... We simply need to, to ask the Lord for patience, to watch and wait for God to fulfill that. The final question we can ask is, has God been faithful? We just haven't recognized it. Has God been faithful? We just don't want to see it yet. That's one reason I got into the story earlier there about Elijah. I mean, think about that. You think you're the only one left. He's the only one left, the only one faithful, the only one who survived. He's about to be put to death. He doesn't even know that God has preserved 7,000 who have never bowed their knee to the false god Baal. God is already doing his work, is being faithful. The prophet just doesn't know it yet, just doesn't have that knowledge. I'm going to personalize this a little bit. because I, I know all of us, or almost all of us, have, can, can empathize with this experience. Um, my youngest brother died when he was 27 had muscular dystrophy, actually lived quite quite advanced age for that disease. But I can assure you the death was not pleasant, right? It's a congestive heart failure. There's a number of things that happened. So I've been praying for healing because it required a miracle. And, and God was choosing not to do a miracle. And I got increasingly frustrated with God. It's not rational. In fact, I'm violating the first question, which is holding God to a promise God didn't make. But this is family, right? And God can heal if God wants to. This is God's call. And God's saying no. And, and for three weeks after his funeral, I'm still going back and forth in this grief process, just questioning God's faithfulness and trying to figure out how I'm supposed to get in the pulpit on Sunday morning and proclaim a God that I'm angry at, right? How am I supposed to do this? And God's people, family and friends, especially my wife, they were patient with me. They would kind of bring up questions. And finally, it was my wife who got through to me and finally said, Kevin, you, you, just, you just don't see it yet. God has healed your brother. You just don't like the way he healed him. You don't like it. How many times in the funeral services I led had I read from Philippians that one day 
When Jesus returns, there'll be a resurrection and our bodies will be like the Lord's glorious body? How many times? I can't tell you the number. But at the moment, I couldn't see it. It was a me issue, right? It wasn't a God issue. It's okay. It was a me issue. But they're right. He's healed. He is not suffering any longer. The suffering's done and the celebration's waiting. I just wasn't quite ready to hear it yet. And finally was able to hear it and kind of process it. And again, I share that because it's a shared experience. That God doing something, that he's being faithful, we're just not quite ready yet to acknowledge it. So I present those questions to us to ponder, to share with friends or others who are questioning God's faithfulness because it is an us issue. It's an us. God is faithful. It's part, it's an attribute of God. God must be faithful. You know, it's for us to grapple with God and work together. And I strongly encourage, first and foremost, go to the scriptures. You have questions about God's faithfulness, study word, study word, study word. Make sure that's something God's supposed to be faithful about. And then also do it in community. Do it, come to service. Talk to pastors. Talk to elders, fellow Christians. Don't be isolated in it. Share it. One thing I like with this idea of faithfulness, with the faithfulness of God, is I can wrap up a message reminding you of God's faithfulness you've already experienced. It's kind of cool. I mean, this is a church that was formed, literally being formed as the chaos of the Civil War was ending. You had to, just to be formed, you had to be able to get through that period of time in United States history. And I know there were precious few battles in the, in the Ohio itself, but I also assure you, Ohio was deeply invested in blood, sweat, and tears in that, in that civil war. God has led you through and been faithful to you through two world wars, two. One of which was especially difficult upon Lutherans because so many of us were still worshiping in German and still doing catechism in German and had to make switches and changes. And that's not easy to do. You know, it's still frustrating sometimes. Last Sunday, I got to preach the 175th anniversary at St. James in Columbus, in the original name of the church, Heilige, Jacobi, Gemeinde, you know. Kind of cool, St. James community or congregation, you know. We had to make changes. You haven't just been surviving a pandemic. You survived the Spanish flu. Let me tell you, the Spanish flu, yeah. One of the major differences, attacked healthy young people. Great-grandfather went to basic training, 1918, died of the Spanish flu. Die of the Spanish flu. Grandma was born six months later. Not an easy time. Not an easy time for America. Not an easy time for any of our communities. Yet God was faithful in leading you through. We can go to the 1960s. We can go through 9-11. You name the period of time. God has proven faithful. God has continually gathered his people together around his word, around his sacraments. He has bound you together to care for each other, to carry each other burdens to encourage one another, to fulfill all those, all those one another passages in the scriptures. All of that has been happening here. As God has been faithful through the first, well, the, this pandemic, and I know we're not quite out of it. There's still, there's still I, I am still getting phone calls. See, it was two weeks ago, I got a phone call from my pastor. Pastor Hano called up and said, um, I've got a funeral tomorrow. I tested positive this morning. <laughs> we have one pastor. I'm like, well, I'm in Cleveland, but I can be in town in time for the visitation. 
If the family's okay with it, I can lead the service tomorrow. I tested negative two days ago, right? It's still, there's still it out there lingering, right? God's going to lead us through it. I'm not sweating the lingering. We've learned a lot. We're doing the best we can to keep others safe. God's going to lead us through it. I am confident in God's faithfulness. He has proven faithful all this time. He is going to prove faithful all the way until Christ returns. We get to join him. Amen and amen. Please stand. I'm going to offer a brief prayer, and then we'll go to our offertory. Ah, gracious Heavenly Father, we call upon you this day, asking for anyone who is struggling with your faithfulness, that you would take these words, the scripture passages, take your scripture, your word, and apply it to their heart and mind. Grant them the peace that passes all human understanding to reach a point of acceptance that you truly have been faithful. Heavenly Father, I do ask that you would also, at this time, be of protection to everyone, this congregation who's traveling this summer. Not only send them out safely, but bring them home safely. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.